I would like to say good morning. If you are new, I'm Jamie, and I am one of the pastors around here. And today it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you. Grab one of the black ones. Go to page 863. That's where you'll find our reading today. Luke chapter 7, as I was saying, if you don't have a Bible, please just take that one home with you. Uh, Right-hand column, middle of the way down, Jesus raises a widow's son. That's where we're going to be together. Uh, Before I, usually what we do is I read and then ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and we work through it verse by verse, and we'll do that here in a minute. But before we do that, uh, I just need to say something to Pickle Baptist Church. Um, Cornerstone is seven and a half years old. And Tuesday was the first funeral that our church has done for someone in our church. We've never walked that path before. And to have your hand in ours was a blessing from God. Um, Your composure and your care and your selflessness and your compassion was a gift. And I give praise to God for you. Uh, For those of you who serve on the benevolence team, you, you are ministers of Christ. You know that. You ministered to us. Those of you who gave time to put the meal together, to wait, to clean up after, to pray for us, that was a ministry. And I'm deeply thankful to God for you. Shirley Tamplin, you are a saint. Thank you. Thank you all. If it is the Lord's will for our two churches to come together to make one new church, and I think it is, you, Piqua Baptist, have taken a huge step toward us in that. And I hope that when the time comes, the rest of us will be able to offer to you the same sort of care and love and compassion that you've showed to us. So praise the Lord for you, and may the Lord bless Piqua Baptist Church. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. I'm going to read verse down to verse 17, and pray and ask for the Lord's help on our time together. So this is uh, God's word, Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Soon afterward, Jesus went down to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up 
and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Would you pray with me? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, open our eyes that we would see the wonders and beauties of the Lord Jesus here in this text. Holy Spirit, will you come? Be with us as we do. Amen. Everything is about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. At the very end of Luke's gospel, the last chapter, the resurrected Jesus Christ meets a couple of his disciples on a road leading out of the city of Jerusalem. They're confused by the events which have taken place over the last few days surrounding the death of the Messiah. And he meets them on the road going out of town and they don't recognize him. And on this road, Jesus walks through the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, the entire Bible that they had at the time, and reveals to them all of the things concerning himself. What a glorious scene. Like, I don't know if they're going to have Netflix in heaven, but if they do, that's the one I'm clicking on first. I mean, y'all can have David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den, but this is where I'm going. This is Jesus preaching Jesus from the whole Bible. And Jesus could do this because everything in the Bible is about Jesus. Even though the Bible is a collection of 66 books with something like 40 different authors written over a period of 1,500 years, it tells one story about one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every text of Scripture either either builds up to Jesus or reveals Jesus or explains the person and work of Jesus. Every passage in your Bible is like a puzzle piece, which is incredibly beautiful all on its own. But if you really want to see the glory contained in each passage, you have to see it connected to the pieces that came before it and after it, as they together reveal the whole picture, the person and work of Jesus Christ. In our passage here in Luke, the author borrows a phrase from a 900-year-old story and links that one to this one to reveal the beautiful reality about God visiting his people. In 1 Kings chapter 17, God has spoken to his people through the prophet Elijah about a drought that he's bringing upon the land on account 
of their idolatry. God was disciplining his people for falling into false worship. And he was bringing them to repentance. And the king at the time did not believe the prophet or even like the prophet, which made life very dangerous for the prophet. And so the prophet is in hiding. And while Elijah is hiding, the Lord sends him to the home of a widow who, because of the famine, is preparing her last meal for herself and for her son. And Elijah, the prophet of God, asks this widow if she would make a meal for him. And she does. And the Lord performs a miracle, and her food never runs out for herself or for her son for the entirety of the famine. And while the prophet is staying in her home, her son, her only son, gets sick and dies. And Elijah, the prophet of God, prays for the boy, and the Lord performs another miracle and raises her son to life. And now listen to the words of 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 23. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. This is the exact same phrase that appears in verse 15 of our passage this morning. Jesus gave him to his mother. And the crowd makes this connection, which is why they say a great prophet has visited us. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 17, Luke wants his readers to see that Jesus Christ is God who has visited his people, that he is wonderfully compassionate, that he has the authority to reverse the effects of sin and death. The main idea this morning is this, that God has visited his people, giving life to the dead. So go and tell everyone about him. Our God, who is rich in compassion, has visited his people, giving life to the dead. So go and tell everyone about him. This little paragraph in the middle of Luke 7 is the gospel in miniature. Notice gospel themes, death, resurrection, and glory. So if you're taking notes, here's the outline. It's rather simple this morning. Number one, death, the terrible plight of man. Death, the terrible plight of man in verses 11 and 12. Point number two, resurrection, the incredible power of God. Verses 13 to 15. And then finally, glory, the marvelous purpose of miracles. Verses 16 to 17. God has visited his people, giving life to the dead. So tell everyone about him. Let's get to work. Let's read verses 11 and 12 once again. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. 
and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, the very beginning of verse 11, we see that Luke connects this story to the one that we considered last week. The one of Jesus healing the centurion's servant. And I told you last week that these two miracles put back to back are about authority. This is about God entering human history to set right what has went wrong when mankind rebelled against him. These two miracles are to corroborate who God is and what God says. God reveals himself in Christ to this widow and to the crowd that has been gathered at Nain. So here's the setting. It's the small town of Nain. This town is unmentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It is something like 20 miles south of Capernaum where the Lord healed the centurion's servant last week. 20 miles. That's a full day's walk. So it'd be like leaving this building and walking south 20 miles till you get to I-70 with a great, great crowd behind you. And so the question is, why would Jesus take a great crowd and all of his disciples and walk a full day in the Middle East to a nowhere town called Nain? And the reason is because of what he encounters when he gets there. A widow who is suffering. Remember what I told you last week, the Lord is drawn to suffering. He's drawn to those who are hurting and the weak and those who just can't. Jesus loves to reveal that he is everything to those who've lost everything. And this woman has lost everything. Verse 12 points to the divine nature of Christ whose timing is perfect. You see, in first century Palestine, when someone would die, they were buried rather quickly, usually on the same day. It was a hot climate, so that only makes sense. And he's being carried out of the city to the burial site at the exact moment that the Lord Jesus and the crowd are coming into the city. As always, Jesus' timing is perfect. Now, these are the days way before caskets. When someone died, the body was cleaned and anointed and wrapped in cloths. It was laid on a plank, which was then carried by bearers to the burial site. And the family of the loved one would lead the way, and a great procession from the whole city would follow them, giving support and condolence. This is the terrible plight of man. That ever since the first man, Adam, sinned against the Lord, death has been the unwelcome house guest of us all. Which is something that our little church has been feeling sharply over the last few weeks, a feeling which is only continuing. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says that just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Now, we don't know if this man's death could be attributed to some kind of particular sin that he committed or whether or not his death can be contributed to just sin in general, life in a fallen world. But either way, death touches all of our lives. Well, it just so happened that this particular dead man is being carried out through the gates of Nain at the exact same time as the Lord Jesus and a huge crowd is coming in through the same gates. His timing is perfect. And Luke goes on to explain to us that this man who died was the only son of his mother and she was a widow. Now We know that because we just read it, and this has already happened. But his disciples who were with Jesus, they didn't know this. The crowd who was with Jesus didn't know this about this nameless widow, but Jesus did. Jesus knows the suffering of all. All death is terrible. All death is terrible. And the terribleness of this death is compounded by the fact that this woman is a widow. This dear woman has been through these gates before when she buried her husband. And now she's lost her son, her only son. This kind of loss is unimaginable. She has lost everything. After burying her husband, she'd likely have put all of her efforts into raising her only son, to making sure that this young man is provided for and he grows into a good, strong man to carry on her husband's name and her husband's lineage and her husband's business. She'd pray for him, that he would find a good wife, to have children that maybe she could raise, help raise. And now she finds herself leading an all-too-familiar procession through her little town. And Luke makes sure that we know that a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Just like a crowd was gathered in this room on Tuesday. So important that this sweet widow knows that she is not alone in her suffering. Oh, but how not alone was she? Her procession out of that city that day was about to meet another procession coming into the city. You see, she is leading a procession toward the grave, but God incarnate is leading another procession toward resurrection. And they meet at the gates of Nain. Let's read what happens next. Resurrection the incredible power of God. And when the Lord Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. 
Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Oh, I hope that your hearts are lifted in worship as you read the precious words of verse 13. The Lord saw her. The Lord had compassion on her. And the Lord spoke comfort to her. Church, your Lord sees and feels and speaks. Jesus saw this widow in her suffering. He saw her. <laughs> She's from a nowhere town in a nowhere region of a nowhere country. She's not even named. Jesus saw her. Because the Lord always sees. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It is no accident, it is no coincidence that this funeral procession meets the Savior's procession. And this is something we all need to know, especially now. That in your suffering, the Lord draws near to you. He sees you. He is with you. He has compassion on you. I'm so thankful to the Lord for this word that Luke puts here. The Lord had compassion on her. This reveals our Savior's heart towards sinners and sufferers. The word means that Jesus had a deep, visceral feeling toward her. It is sympathy for her in her distress which compels him toward her in order to make it better. I tell my kids all the time, Jesus will make it better. He is the Christ and he is compassionate. The leaders and rulers and kings of this world will distance themselves from the lowly and the nameless and the weak, but not our king. He is with the lowly and the nameless and the meek. He is moved with compassion toward them. Jesus sees her and he has compassion on her and then he speaks comfort to her. What did we say last week? Say the word. And he says the word. What does he say? Do not weep. <laughs> That's a crazy thing to say to a widow mourning the loss of her only son. Who in their right mind would have the guts to tell a widow, chill with all this weeping? It's insensitive. Would be if I said it, if you said it. I tried to speak life to a dead computer this week. 
It did nothing. It remains a very expensive hunk of aluminum. But it is not insensitive when God says it. Because when God says it, you believe it, you obey it. Because something's about to happen. Verse 14. He came up and he touched the beer. And the bearers stood still. The touch of Jesus. You remember this. This has happened in Luke before. Jesus stretching out his hand and touching something having to do with death. You remember? Back in chapter 5. The leper comes to Jesus. You remember what Luke told us? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. The leper is living death. His skin is literally dying. He carries death on his body. And in the law, when a Jew touched a dead body or touched something that a dead body touched, they became unclean. And when Jesus touches the leper, something different happens. Jesus' cleanness latches on to the leper, and he becomes clean. The same thing happens here. Jesus touches the plank on which the dead man lay. Jesus' life pours out of him and into the dead man. He says, young man, I say to you, rise. The same voice which spoke the sun into existence, the same word of power which sustains the universe, spoke to the dead and raised the dead man to life. Verse 15 is an absurd statement. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Dead men don't speak. They don't sit up. They don't do anything. But this dead man, heard the cry of command from the Lord of glory and his body was revived and he was restored and he was brought back to life. And I've looked at these verses very closely this week and there was no mention here of struggle. There's no hint of a battle between Jesus and death. The command of Jesus goes forth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The dead gave up their dead. At the command of Jesus, every atom in this dead body was shot through with life. Synapses in the man's brain began to fire. His lungs, in obedience to the sovereign will of their creator, filled with oxygen, and his heart began to beat. His abdominal muscles contracted, and he sat up as the man started, the men who were carrying it started feeling the vibrations of the man on the pyre. He sits up, and he begins to speak, because when Christ commands, there is no debate. The dead surrenders its prey. The Lord drew near to the city. The Lord saw the widow. The Lord had compassion on the sufferer. The Lord spoke comfort to the grieving. And the Lord turned a funeral into a celebration. He speaks life to the dead. And he returns this dead son to his mother. She is sonless no longer. How, how does one find comfort 
in the face of unimaginable loss like this? By knowing that God sees and God feels and God speaks. So brother, sister, whatever it is that you're suffering today, whatever suffering you will face tomorrow, you need to know the Lord sees you, feels with you, and speaks to you. The Lord draws near. When you're leading a funeral procession of your own, Jesus will meet you. And Jesus feels not just for you, he feels with you. He is our great high priest. His feeling is not just some kind of generality, some kind of general sympathy. No, it is far more pointed and narrow than that. It is empathy. He feels with us. Do not forget that Isaiah described him as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As you grieve, he grieves. He knows what it's like to grieve. And his camaraderie in your grief is not a commisery. It is a comfort. He's not just going to sit with you. He's going to sustain you. And one day, he's going to raise you. He's the life giver, the great sustainer. The one has power over life and death and sickness and disease. He's Lord over cancer, Lord over dementia, Lord over the death of husbands and sons. Jesus gave this boy back to his dear mother. 900 years before this time, God gave us a preview of this reality in the ministry of the prophet Elijah. It was a preview of what would come. The great prophet, as I mentioned earlier, prayed and the boy came back to life. Notice, Elijah prayed, Jesus commanded. Elijah lifted the boy in his arms. Jesus spoke to the boy. Get up. And just like the prophet of old, Jesus gave the boy to his mother. What a glorious reality this is. But there's more glory still. As wonderful and glorious as this miracle is, and as much as it reveals God in Christ, this too, this story too, is a preview of what will come. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Glory, the marvelous purpose of miracles. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. It's a funny description, isn't it, from Luke? Fear sees them all. It's an interesting emotion. Literally, the word means dread, a sense of alarm, fright. It's, it's, the, it's the word from which we get the word phobia. 
This is the same exact word that Luke uses earlier in, in his gospel to describe Zechariah when the angel appeared to him in the temple. It's how the, she- the shepherds felt when the angel appeared to them to announce the birth of the Christ child. Fear means awe, amazement, shock, and it's the right emotion. Because no one in Nain, no one in Galilee, no one in Israel had seen anything like this. Who has the power to tell dead people what to do and they obey them? No one had seen anything like this. These people knew that they were in the presence of someone different. Divinity had encountered humanity. And when that happens, it's terrifying. I know some Christians who want to take Jesus to prom and make s'mores with him and sing lullabies to him. And I get that. I get that. Like the Apostle John laid his head on Jesus' chest. I get that. But sometimes in the Gospels, when Jesus reveals just a little bit more of his godness, this is the response. People are terrified. Later, when we get to chapter 8, some people are going to beg Jesus to leave after he performs a miracle. And we've already seen this kind of response once before. When, when Jesus did the miracle with Peter, remember the boat? Peter falls at his feet, says, depart from me, a sinner. So these people, they did the right thing. They started glorifying God, telling everyone about him. Probably prevented a bunch more funerals that day. <laughs> Now, of course, their understanding of who Jesus is is underdeveloped. A great prophet he was, but much more than a great prophet. They had no idea how true their statement was that God has visited his people. Now, speaking of old Zechariah, this little paragraph in your Bible is a fulfillment of a prophecy that we read that that Zechariah gave way back in chapter 1. Way back in chapter 1, Zechariah was telling us what Jesus would be, the Messiah, when he came, what he would do. He said, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun shall rise to visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah told us this is what Jesus would do and this is what Jesus is doing. And then we come to verse 17, and it is no throwaway statement. This report about him spread everywhere. Because, of course, this was the point. This is why Luke mentions the crowd twice in this passage. There are crowds with Jesus. There are crowds at the funeral. This miracle by Jesus was for the glory of God. It was meant to be seen by many. It was meant to be told to many more. And this miracle of raising the dead is marvelous. But it too is a preview. Jesus said in John chapter 5, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and come out. There's, There's coming a day when Jesus is going to say, young man arise to every young man, every young woman. 
And here in Luke 7, there was no struggle against death when Jesus said, arise, and there will be no struggle against death at the end. When the Lord Jesus commands the dead from every age and every epoch of man to rise, they will rise, everyone. Death and Hades will surrender its prey like a lion giving up its kill. All will stand before the Lord to give an account of their lives, all of us. And this is the marvelous purpose of miracles. Every miracle recorded in Holy Scripture should cause us to worship and give glory to God. And every miracle performed by the Lord Jesus should cause us to wonder why. More specifically, why this miracle and not that miracle? Or even more specifically, why heal this widow's son and not all widows' sons? Certainly, she wasn't the only widow in Israel. Why heal this leper and not heal leprosy? That's a good question. The answer that I put before you is this. The marvelous purpose of miracles is to point to the greater reality beyond the miracle itself. This young man was returned to life. And that's a glorious thing. Perhaps by the mercy of God, he's granted another 50, 60 years. Where is he today? This man. Well, he's dead. He died. Death came back. The point of this miracle, the point of all miracles, is to point to the glory of God in Christ who raises the dead. You see, this miracle is the gospel in miniature. This young man is all men. The whole world is dead in sin. If you're following along in our one-year Bible reading plan, you read this yesterday. Ephesians 2 verse 1, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. And being dead, we could do nothing. We couldn't even cry for help. We were being carried along on our own spiritual plank on our way to the grave. But in perfect timing, God sent Jesus to us. And he saw us, and he had compassion on us, and he spoke to us. And at his command, the spiritually dead have life shooting through them. And life-giving air fills their spiritual lungs, and they sit up and give glory to God. And now they live to tell everyone about him. Bringing life to this widow's only son was possible only because God gave his only son to die. As Pastor Matt explained earlier, that Jesus Christ would take the place of this man and all men, bearing the penalty of sin, taking death upon himself, and he would suffer in the place of sinners and die. And no one stopped his funeral. He went willingly, giving up his life. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. 
And Ephesians chapter 2 goes on to say, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with him. We sit up. We speak. We testify to the glory of God because God gave us life. He stopped our funeral. He touched the plank where our dead body laid. Friend, if you're not a Christian, I so want this to be your story. Earlier I said that Jesus promised that all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Well, Jesus goes on to explain that everyone will be raised to life just like this widow's son. And he says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You need to understand what's happened here today. God has visited you. The funeral procession in your life can be stopped. Friend, repent of your sin. Turn. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Take one of those Bibles that are in the pew in front of you. Take it home. Finish reading the Gospel of Luke. I would encourage you to write down any question that you have. Thing that, things that don't make sense to you, things you want to know about Lord Jesus, write them all down. Come back next week. Find someone who looks like a regular, someone who took the Lord's Supper earlier, and invite them to take you out and to begin working through the Gospel of Luke together. I know any one of these people in here would be happy to teach you more about the Lord Jesus and how you can be raised to life like this widow's son. God has visited his people. He gives life to the dead. And many here enjoy the very benefits of that resurrection life. So here's my word to you this morning. Sit up, speak, and testify to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is only right that at the end of a passage like that when we bow ourselves before you and to admit that we are nothing and you are everything, that we do not possess the power over death or over life, that we are creatures, but you are the creator. We confess to you, Father, that we have sinned. Have mercy on us. We confess, Lord, that even though you're near, we spend so much of our lives giving such little attention to your nearness. We go through our days with a numbness in our hearts to you and to your spirit's presence. But yet in our lostness and in the deadness of our hearts, you have stopped our funeral. And you spoke to us in our spiritual lethargy and you called us to life. Thank you. Give us grace to live a life that's worthy of you. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
fully pleasing to him, abounding in every good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, please stand to your feet as I read over you the final verse. An assurance of pardon, Psalm chapter 86, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you.